All right. Good morning again. I just want to say something real quick before I get started. Um, I sometimes get a little bit nervous that people think that I'm, we're just pouring into Bayside. Um, and I want to say uh, the reason why we're doing that is because I'm over at Bayside quite a bit. Uh, I spend a lot of time over there. I substitute teach. I'm the assistant golf coach over there. I volunteer in various ways. And if you're saying, well, it seems like Jimmy really likes that school, it's not because Jimmy likes that school, it's just because I, that's where I've chosen to put my energy and my time into, into pouring into our community. I want to encourage you, if there's any other schools or any other things that you are interested in that you're investing into and you're saying, hey, I'm only one person, I can't do this alone, please tell us about those opportunities, okay? We are feeding, you know, Bayside High School on, on Friday. That's great. But if another school needs some food, tell us about it, okay? We want to be actively a part of our community, and I'm not going to be the only one doing that kind of stuff, right? It's everybody together. Nod your heads if you're with me. You guys, amens maybe. Something verbal, please, okay? Because we as a, as a collection of people are far greater than we are as individuals, right? And it's awesome. Under the banner of Christ, we can do many, many great things. So I just wanted to clear that up. It was maybe on my conscience a little bit. I don't want it to show any favoritism towards anybody. But that's just where I'm at and where I feel like the Spirit's leading me to be at the moment. Uh, but hopefully last week you were here uh, to hear Kenny Payne talk, the missionary that spent a long time in the Ukraine. Kenny is one of those uh, giants, I think, in, in, in that kind of field where he's got his feet, his boots on the ground. He's doing great work for the Spirit. I know many of you have talked to me saying that was great you're following his ministry, he and his wife's ministry, and I hope that you continue to follow them and to see what the good work the Spirit's doing for the people of Ukraine. Uh, but to get back into 1 Samuel, we're, we're doing this long series through 1 Samuel, and I want to recap very briefly kind of where we've been and hopefully where we're going to go, okay? So we've talked a lot about a, a bunch of different characters throughout all of 1 Samuel, and I want to urge you every single week to not let these characters live at VBS, okay? That these characters are not people in movies. They're not people that we think about as flannel board figures. These are real life people. We've talked about Hannah. We've talked about Elkanah. We've talked about Phineas and Hophni. We've talked about Eli. We've talked about all these people, Samuel, and all the things that God has done through them and all the shortcomings that these people have experienced as well. Uh, they are flesh and blood human beings. And since that's the truth, they make a whole lot of mistakes. And just to rem remind you of where we were two weeks ago, uh, the Ark of the Covenant has been returned to the people of Israel, and things seem to be going great for these people, okay? Remember, the Ark was taken from them when the people of Israel decided to use it as a good luck charm in battle with them, right? They brought the Ark of the Covenant because they said, God is here, we are going to win, and that did not go well for the people of Israel. They lost even more, right? And then from there, the Philistines, they took the ark, and they took it from town to town, and from town to town, bad things kept happening to them until finally it was returned to the people of Israel. And here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 7, where we're going to pick up. The ark is returned, and the people start to actually act like they're God's people for once. 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 2. Then all of the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. 
So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Asherahs and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all, the people, all of Israel at Mitzvah, and I will intercede with, you, with the Lord for you. When they had assembled all at Mitzvah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as a leader of the people at Mitzvah. I want you just to have this image of the people of Israel. I want you to physically see them doing these things in comparison to what they were doing in 1 Samuel chapter 4. I briefly mentioned this, but this is where they were just a few chapters before. The same exact people were doing this. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all of Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the Ark of the Covenant had come into the camp. We have these two different uh, kind of ideas of the people of Israel, right? In chapter 7, we have a very contrite and humble group of people, right? They're getting rid of their foreign gods. They're pouring themselves out. They are humble and contrite before God in comparison to the people of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 4, where they are beating their chest, kind of feeling themselves in this moment, saying, we are going to win this battle, Very, very different. We have the humbleness of Israel in chapter 7. We have the pridefulness of Israel in chapter 4. Very, very different. But I want to take just a brief moment to clarify what Samuel is asking them to do, right? This kind of uh, going back to what it says here. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods, right? So that you can serve the Lord only. This is supposed to remind us here of what Moses, the first commandment was, right? That was given to Moses. What was it? Love the Lord your God. That like the, This is the only God that you're going to have, right? This is the only God that you're going to have. There will be no other gods before Yahweh God. And so right now, Samuel is trying to hearken back to the very beginnings of what these people are supposed to be about. Right? That they are not going to serve any other God before Yahweh. And so... This is very important. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then do what God told you to do. It sounds very simple, right? It's when I tell my kids, if you could just listen to what I say to do, things would go very smoothly from here on out. But if you have kids in your life, you know that doesn't always happen that way. People are complex. But what I think is so, so interesting is that Samuel's not telling them to be overly complicated. He's not making things so out of reach for them to not be, uh, for, uh, for it to not be attained to. He's saying, remember what you have been taught forever, right? Your grandma's grandma's grandma has been telling you this for a long time. Serve no other God except for Yahweh. Only if, right? You are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts. I think that's very, very interesting, this wording that Samuel chooses to use here, right? It's not about this halfness, right? We, we find, we're going to find, we're not there yet, I don't want to get too far ahead, that the people of Israel like to have this duality about them, right? They want to serve Yahweh God, but they also want to have their Asherahs. They also want to have their Baal worship. They also want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to look like the people around them, but they also want to be the people of God. And I find it very interesting that Samuel says, if you are returning to the Lord with some of your heart, three-fourths, one-quarter, one-half. No, he says, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then do something about it. There's this finality about it to where if this is what's going to be about your life for the rest of your life, you have to prove it 
but putting away those things. And as a kid, I would hear stories like this and say, well, that's easy. I can get rid of these things and I can serve this God that seems to be all-powerful. But as we kind of grow up and mature, I kind of find out that's not so easy to put away the things that I might rely on and totally serve God. But what all through this process, and all that aside, I can't help but hear the echoes of the matriarch Hannah. You guys remember Hannah, right, a little bit from 1 Samuel? That Hannah was this woman who was being tormented uh, by this other woman in her life, her husband's other wife, that she could, Hannah couldn't have babies, and so she kept going to God, and what would she always do? Right? She would pour out her soul to God. She would pour out herself in a way that in which Eli, when he saw her pouring out her soul, was like, this lady must be drunk because she's doing something crazy in here. But in reality, Hannah was just pouring out herself to God in a way that was so different because she was totally committed. And when I hear this, if you have your whole hearts, right? I think of Hannah. I think of what they do here when they pour out the water, right? This, this physical pouring out of water. I'm reminded of Hannah pouring out her spirit, pouring out her very self before God, surrendering everything to him, asking with her whole heart, God, please do something for me. The people of Israel are echoing Hannah, pouring out their fasting, right, before God, and they are committing all of their hearts for this moment to God. And again, I just hear Hannah so loudly. But at this time is when the Philistines choose to do something, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled in Mitzvah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that they, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a second lamb and sacrificed it as a burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Again, I want you to go back to the Israelites that were beating their chests, bringing the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them. Their good luck charm is on the field, their surely win. And compare that pridefulness of the Israelites to the Israelites who are pouring themselves out, who are fasting, who are turning their entire hearts towards God. What is their response? It's not, go grab the Ark of the Covenant, right? They say, Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. The Israelites finally got something right. That he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. They are totally committed. This is a different Israel, right? And this is the, the part that I, again, I'm hearing the echoes of Hannah. This is Samuel, right? He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. I'm again reminded of when Hannah pours out her soul, and she goes before Eli, and Eli says, go, may the Lord answer you. And guess what the Lord does? He remembers Hannah, and he answers her prayer. This is the first time since that moment we see the Lord interceding for Israel in this way. There seems to be kind of this idealized version of Israel embodied in Hannah. Hannah is like the ultimate sign of God's people acting like God's people. And then Samuel is kind of the fruition of God answering Hannah's prayer. And then we have fast forward to this place where the people of Israel, they're up, they're down, they're sideways, they're every other place. And when they finally commit themselves and they act like God's people, guess what God does? 
He answers them because God hears them and God loves them. God wins every time. I think that's a pretty good response to this. As we go here to 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, this is where I kind of want to pause for a moment. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So we have this whole story of Hannah leading up to this moment where Samuel and Israel are kind of acting like God's people, and they set up this thing in Ebenezer. And if you're in your Bible, you probably have a little footnote there about what Ebenezer means. It's not Scrooge, right? Scrooge McDuck or whatever. Um, but Ebenezer literally just means a stone of help. All right, we just sang the song, Come Thou Fount, right? I might butcher this, right? Come, uh, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto thy help have come. As a kid, that's kind of like Shakespeare talk. Don't know what that means, right? I, I, I think literally, the, the NIV, I think, translates it very well, saying, um, I'll just go back to where it's on the screen so everybody can see it. Thus far the Lord has helped us. This is going to be kind of a memorial reminding us that up to this point, God has been on our side. Even though we have been up and even though we have been down, this far God has helped us. And we are going to remember this. This is the Ebenezer. This is the monument, the memorial that we are going to remember forever. And from this day forward, guess what? The Israelites were perfect people. No, they weren't. I lied. Okay, if you know your Bible, you should be laughing at me right now because that is not what happens to the people of Israel. But nevertheless, the, the, the Ebenezer still exists. The memorial still exists, and the stone of help has not changed. This is always going to be a reminder of what God has done, even though the people of God do not respond accordingly. And maybe in the back of your mind you're saying, okay, this sounds a little too familiar, Jimmy. Uh, I meant to bring uh, a couple relics with me this morning. I forgot them. I had a reminder on my phone. I still forgot them. Um, But humans are very sentimental, Right? Maybe you're more sentimental than other people or less. I don't know. In my family, I'm the more sentimental one than my wife. I want to keep the most random things. And she's like, that is trash. Throw it away. Um, there's a few things that I've held on to over the years. Uh, I have this watch. I used to wear it every day. I, I wear it. I don't have it on right now. I usually take it off when I preach. Um, but I had this watch that my wife gave me when I graduated college. We had no money. Uh, but she found a way to, she's very thrifty, and she got me this nice watch, and she gave it to me the day I graduated from college, a day that I wasn't sure was going to come for me. And it was a very special thing. It's nothing special. The watch is not like a Rolex or anything, right? We had nothing, really. But she gave me that special watch, and I still have it in my drawer today, and every time I kind of open that drawer and I see it, I'm reminded, man, that was a crazy time in life, and I'm very thankful for that gift she gave me. Uh, this past year, uh, I, I was able to, I, I had my golf bag from my high school golf team for a very long time. I was able to keep it after high school, and it was destroyed. By the time I, this past year, I got a new one. And on the, on the side, it had the, the logo of my school and, and of our team, and I, I cut it off the bag, and I, I kept this ratty piece of material. And I still have it um, next to my, my nightstand. And, you know, it, it, it's... It's tucked away. It's not like on my nightstand, okay? It's in a basket under my nightstand. Um, But it's cool to me because that was such a fun period of my life. 
I loved that team playing together. Those guys, we played not just during that season, but all year long. And it's not just a representation of the team, but it's a representation of the friendships that we had, right? The things that we did together and just that time in my life, right, that I will never be able to go back to. But when I see that, I'm reminded, oh, that was a really fun time, a really great experience. And maybe as I'm telling you these things, maybe you have those things in your life where you look at them and you're like, man, this thing is useless to anybody else but me. But it gives me such joy to see it and to remember the things that I experienced and went through. Maybe it's the artwork that your grandkids or your kids put together that's not, you know, so impressive, but it's impressive because they made it for you. Maybe it's the little things that your spouse gives you, the little, I, I, just one more thing, I, I bought, when me and Michelle first started dating, I didn't know what to get her for our first Christmas. So I got her this ornament from Bells, and it's this flamingo, and it broke this past Christmas, and I was sad about that. So I put it back together, and instead of putting it back in the ornament box where it's liable to break again, I put it in our special, you know, relationship box that throughout the years we've we've kept things. And it's one of those things where it is a, like, $2 ornament. But it just reminds me of, you know, that time when we first started dating, that, that, that moment where we were kind of just, you know, exchanging gifts for the first time. To you, it's meaningless. But to me, it means a whole lot more. My things uh, are my things, and I'm sure you have your things. But what I'm trying to get at is that these memorials go so much deeper than what the objects actually are. And when you look at this Ebenezer that, that Samuel's talking about here, it's a rock. There's nothing special about it. But in that moment, Samuel raises it up and says, up to this point in our human experience, God has been with us. This is no longer just a simple rock but it is a representation of how far God has taken us to this point. It is a memorial of, yes, we've turned away. Yes, we've committed our whole hearts. We've given everything. We've poured ourselves out to God. And up to this point, God has remembered us and God has answered our prayers. The memorial runs so much deeper. And again, I can't help but hear Hannah once again. That Hannah is kind of this representation of what Israel ought to be like. And Samuel's kind of like her Ebenezer in a way, where she sees Samuel, and again, she didn't get to mother Samuel, right? But whenever she would see him, it's almost like, there's my Ebenezer. There's my memorial as to how far God has taken me, and from that place, I know God will always be with me. This will mean that God is always listening to me. And then I don't know what each individual Israelite might be thinking, but I'm thinking about the people who might have been in the heat of battle saying, this is where God saved my life physically. Or I'm thinking about Samuel when he's offering this sacrifice and says, this is where God saved all of these people. The different perspectives, but whatever it is, this Ebenezer will represent the stone of help God being with his people. This is very important. Samuel makes this to remind them to never return to where they were before, right? Um, I think about recovery groups sometimes. They give out medallions for months or, or days or years of sobriety. And a lot of times those medallions are representations of I can never go back to the life I led before because that life was destructive. And this medallion represents a new place, an Ebenezer of sorts, to where, we, where I can go in the future with my life if I choose to live this way. 
Humans are very sentimental. And it is very important to have this kind of memorial for the people of Israel because they need to know God has been with them this far. And he always will be. But as I think about this, the kind of cynical, not cynical, maybe pragmatic part of my brain is, okay, why do we need to be reminded about God? Doesn't that sound weird sometimes? Do you need to be reminded to breathe air in the morning? Or to eat food? Sometimes maybe. Or to drink water? Or to do the basic necessities of your human life? No, we don't have to be reminded of those things because we just do them. And in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to be reminded about God. Because if we're trying to live like Jesus, we're going to live like Jesus, right? Jesus always relied on God. But here we are sitting thousands of years later, thousands of years later, just like the Israelites, going up and down and sideways every other way. And why do we need to be reminded about God? I have three reasons why. Two, and the third one's kind of not a reason, but it kind of wraps everything up, okay? But the first reason is that humans need reference points. Okay, humans need reference points. I'm thinking about the Israelites, and if you take about the, think about the history of the Israelites, talking about when they were liberated from Egypt, what did they almost immediately do after they left Egypt? They looked at Moses and said, we want to go back because at least we were eating back there. Right? What did they do when Moses was up on the mountain talking to God? Let's make a different God because he's taking too long. People have always needed reference points, and we are no different. If you think you are, you're lying to yourself. I had a very cool experience last weekend at Universal. This is one of my favorite rides of all time. We were there uh, this past weekend celebrating Madeline's birthday, and this is the VelociCoaster, best ride at at Islands of Adventure. It's really fun. Uh, But my son is just now tall enough to get to ride these rides, really, for the first time. And he's slowly kind of going through these bigger and bigger roller coasters. And when we got to the park, he really wanted to ride Hulk. And I was like, okay, Hulk's kind of fast. But I'm not going to tell him that it's a little bit, might be too fast for him, but we'll see. Loved it. He wanted to ride it again and again. Um, So that was awesome. I was like, cool, maybe he'll want to ride this one. And we brought it up to him in the day, and he's like, no, I can't do Velocicoaster. It's, no. So throughout the day, my wife's kind of like a ninja when she talks to Jay about getting him to do things he might not want to do. Uh, So me, Jeremy, and Courtney, uh, my in-laws, we're saying, we're going to go ride it, and you have to stand in line with us. And we kind of knew, Michelle kind of knew that maybe if he was in line, he would want to eventually. But this was Jay's mind the entire time. In the ride, he kept saying, so how fast does this ride go? I was like, pretty fast. Like 70 miles per hour. And he's like, okay. And then he'd be quiet for a little bit. He's like, is it faster than Hulk? I was like, it's a little bit faster than Hulk. He's like, okay. And then he's like, what about Hagrid's motorbike? Is, is it faster than that? I was like, it's, it's faster than that. But I was like, Jay, this ride's almost like Hagrid's motorbike and Hulk are, are combined. And he's like, okay. I've ridden both of those. And then he was quiet for a little bit. And then I could tell as we kind of kept talking and talking, his, his mind was thinking, I think I might be able to do this. Until eventually he looked at me and jo- Jeremy and Courtney and were like, he's like, I'm going to ride this ride. And we get on the ride and I wish that I could have had like a GoPro on his face 
because they, if there's a commercial they ever need to do, if anybody knows anybody at Islands of Adventure, they need to get Jay on a commercial riding this ride because it was the best face I've ever seen in my life. We're, like, I have another picture here. Um, where we're standing right here, there's like a, like a drop right there, and his hands were up behind his head, and his like mouth was wide open, his eyes were so wide, and he was just laughing and yelling and screaming, and he was so happy. And after we got done, he's like, can we ride it again? The next day, he's like, can we ride in the front row? I want to do this over and over as, as many times as I possibly can. And what's so funny is that he did not want to ride this ride until he had the reference points of the things he's already done. Right? He was able to say, okay, I've done a fast roller coaster today already. I've done a roller coaster where I'm not as harnessed in. Maybe I could do this one. And see, as, as humans, we often do the exact same thing when it comes to uh, different experiences in life. Maybe you're changing jobs and it's scary, but you think, you know what? I've done this in my field already. Maybe I can do something else as well. The more experiences that we have challenging ourselves and stretching ourselves, the more we're going to see God challenging us and stretching us as well. He's going to provide opportunities where we can grow and we can do things that might seem scary at first, but he provides reference points over and over again for you to say, you know what? God has been with me this far. I think he could do it again. God has been with me when I was uncomfortable and I didn't know what to do. I bet you he will do it again. And it's so, so important for us to remember those reference points because if we don't remember them, guess what? They never happened. Luckily, I've, been, I've, been, um, I've referenced a few times. I'm, I'm currently doing a grad program through Lipscomb, and they make me do a lot of this stuff. Excuse me. They make me do a lot of this stuff where I have to think about the things that have happened in my life and where the Spirit's led me to this point. And they make me write it down and turn it in, which helps. But sometimes in the process of writing, I remember things that I forgot completely. And it's like, how could I possibly have forgotten how the Spirit was active in that time of my life? But it's because sometimes we just forget. We need to have these reference points reference points in order for us to remember the things that God has done in our lives. And I urge you to look at your life and see those reference points, to see those Ebenezers, right? Those stones of help, those memorials of where God has taken you before. We need reference points. The second reason why we need help remembering God is that Satan loves to use our memories for his own work. I referenced a long time ago a podcast Malcolm Gladwell did about memory. It's three parts, amazing. If you have a chance to listen to it, revisionist history. I don't remember what season, but it's amazing. And he talks about how our memories work and how even after a year of a big event happening, our memory can kind of shift and turn things to where the actual event is so fragmented we can't even remember exactly what took place. We might think that we can, but we actually don't. Right? We actually put things into our memory that didn't actually happen. The stories that we tell ourselves often shift. And Satan loves that about humans. Satan loves to use our memories for his own works. Because the moment that we're forgetting the things that God has done, Satan is saying, guess what? God wasn't even there anyway. That's how the Bible starts, right? Did God really say that? We're... we're taught about this deceptiveness of our own memories very early on, yet we don't guard ourselves against this at all. 
we often forget the things that God has done and allow Satan to use those misremembering moments to his own advantage. Israel goes through this over and over again. Next week, we're going to talk about this exact thing. Okay? Israel's in a good place right now. They're not going to be next week. Because Satan has always loved to use people's memories for his own works. Please, please do not underestimate the power of writing things down. Journaling, seeing what God is doing, because that is a good way to remember exactly how God's working in your life. Because Satan loves to use our memories. And the last thing, and this is where I want to land, we talked about Ebenezer's, we talked about the stone of hell, we talked about up until this place, God has been with me. And what I take away from all this is that Jesus lived his life as the ultimate Ebenezer for a reason. He is the ultimate stone of help. He is the ultimate memorial because everything that he did, he's saying something like, and you should do this also. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, This is where we get involved, and this is where we should start saying, okay, you also should wash one another's feet. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who had sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Up until this point, God has been with him. And it seems like the life of Jesus, he says this over and over again, not just with his words, but through his actions. Right? If we are going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to say that we are trying to remember God and to do all these things, yada, 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 we have to recognize that emulating Jesus is part of the equation. It's not just about us. It's about us trying to be more like Christ every day, but not just like Christ, but the individual way that you can be like Christ. Let Christ be that Ebenezer for you. Allow yourself to read the New Testament and see the actions of Jesus and say, you know what, I might not be able to make loaves and fishes multiply, but I surely can listen well. I can speak uh, slowly and listen with eager expectation, right? I can lend a helping hand. I can do so many things that Jesus did because He has empowered me to do so with the Spirit, right? Allow yourself to be reminded that the Spirit is in you, and Jesus is the ultimate Ebenezer for us to live and to remember that God has been with us for a very, very long time. And since he's been with us for a very long time, it shouldn't change today. It hasn't. But our memories allow us to forget. Our actions allow us to think, maybe he's not with me today. That's a lie. Allow yourself to recognize Jesus as the ultimate Ebenezer as you live your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and thank you for giving us a space to look at really what it looks like when the people of God act like it. When they pour out themselves, when they they fast, they do all these things to honor you, God. Help us to have that same energy today. Help us to recognize that, Jesus, that you are the ultimate Ebenezer, the stone of help to say that, God, up to this point, you have been with us, and that is a constant renewal every single day. Help us to be reminded of that. Help us to write things down. Help us to see how we are actually being reminded every single day that you are with us, and that even in our darkest places, 
you reign as king. So just let me pray. Amen. If anybody has a need or if you have trouble reminding yourself where God has taken you, we want to offer this as an opportunity to come forward and say something about it, but you don't have to come forward. There's going to be people in the back. There's going to be shepherds here. There's going to be friends in your life. But again, I urge you, as I do every Sunday, to talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.